A filter is something that adjusts the equalization on an instrument or track to cut out or add specific frequencies to make it sound very different than it might have sounded when it was originally recorded. Some filters cut low frequencies, some filters cut high frequencies, and some filters actually move over time, emphasizing high frequencies and then low frequencies, which adds a sense of motion to the recording. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I am your host, Kirk Hamilton, and as always, I'm so glad that you've joined me to talk about music with high frequencies, music with low frequencies, and music with all of those sweet, sweet mid-frequencies. We are going to be talking about one of the great geniuses of modern music on this episode, and I'm excited to get into it. So find a comfortable place to sit, turn up the volume, and enjoy the show. I recently bought this little all-in-one synth groove box songwriting thing. It's called a Novation Circuit, and it's pretty fun. It's not the only one of these. Roland makes one. The OP1 is another well-known example. And it's generally intended to be auxiliary. Like, it's not intended to be, you know, the kind of thing that you would use in a in the full studio to make music. Like, I have a different thing that I use for that. But as a kind of standalone, just little thing covered in buttons that you can use to write music, it's actually really cool, and it's shaken up my creation process quite a bit. One thing that this little groove box has on it is a big filter knob just on the upper right, and you can kind of just filter whatever you're playing, so everything that you're playing suddenly goes through a low-pass to high-pass filter, and it's actually really effective. It's the kind of thing you would use in more in electronic music, which isn't exactly the kind of music that I write, but it's actually really fun to just sort of play around with and to just have this knob on demand that can put a filter on everything. I have long worked either writing in scores, like writing up musical scores, or working in a big digital audio workstation like Logic or Pro Tools. That has always been how I've made music, but I'm getting a little bit more into sequencers, synthesizers, and what's called DAW-less music creation. A DAW is your digital audio workstation, and going DAW-less means you have some way of writing the music and sort of, you know, getting your ideas down, but you're not working on a big screen on your computer working in Pro Tools or Logic. There's something to be said for restriction when it comes to being creative, and I've actually found that this sort of DAW-less approach, it's a nice middle ground. It gives me a lot of sonic options, but it's a much more streamlined approach to writing music, and it's not as computer-focused, which actually feels really good to me. So, welcome back to the show. I am so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're listening. Thanks to everyone who's been spreading the word, telling people about the show, and thanks, too, to all of my Patreon backers who support me making this show. 2020 has been a really weird and pretty rough year in a lot of ways, but Strong Songs has been a consistent bright spot for me. I just feel like I'm getting better and better at making this show. I'm having more and more fun doing it for more and more people, and all of you who support me making this show, you're making all of that possible, so thanks so much. If you want to know more about how to support Strong Songs, how to help me keep making this show in the future, go to patreon.com slash strong songs to find out more. I love hearing from listeners. Feel free to shoot me an email with requests, suggestions, Q&A questions. I'm going to do one more Q&A this year, so if you want to get in a question for it, send an email to listeners at strongsongspodcast.com. You can also find Strong Songs on Twitter at Strong Songs, and you can find me at Kirk, K-I-R-K Hamilton, and on Instagram at Kirk underscore Hamilton. 
Alright, let's get into it. This episode's strong song is from an artist that I've been excited to talk about since I started making this show. This is a singer who takes listeners on little journeys. Every single one of her songs is a journey, and I think that that's kind of the heart of her genius, is that her songs always begin in one place, and they really do have that sense of place. So you're there in the song with her, and then something happens, and before you know it, you're in a new place, and then a new place, and the song keeps taking you to new places on a shifting, unpredictable journey. When people talk about songwriters, about musicians, they talk about a voice and the idea that someone has a clear voice. And this musician has a clear voice in every sense of the word. Her songs sound like her. Her vision is totally distinct. Her voice goes far beyond the actual sound that her vocal cords make when she sings, though that voice is really distinct too. The moment she opens her mouth and begins to make a sound, you know whether it's quiet or loud, dramatic or intimate, you're listening to Bjork. Bjork has been making music for decades. Everybody has a favorite song of hers or the first song that they heard that really demonstrated to them what she was capable of. That magic way she has of placing you somewhere, then lifting you up and taking you somewhere new. For me, it'll always be the song that I'm gonna be focusing on on this episode. A song about fragility and strength, stability and precariousness. 1995's Hyper Ballad. There are so few songs that feel like as much of a journey to me, both an emotional journey in the way that this song reflects on these conflicting feelings, and also an actual journey through space. This song's sense of space and the way that all of the elements of the composition work together to conjure a sense of space in the listener, it's unlike any other song I can think of. It's so cool, and I'm so excited to talk about it. So some vital stats up front. Hyper Ballad is a single off of Bjork's 1994 album Post. It was written by Bjork and co-produced with Nellie Hooper, who was a collaborator of hers a lot in the 90s and is certainly responsible for some of this song's distinct sound. Bjork did have one other collaborator of sorts that I feel I should mention here at the top, and that is The Nation and Topography of Iceland. Bjork is well-known as an Icelandic musician. She's, I would say, the most well-known Icelandic musician in the world. But it's worth mentioning that there are a lot of amazing Icelandic musicians. Um, I actually went to school with a drummer named Einar Skiving, who was my introduction to Icelandic music, actually. I didn't listen to a whole lot of Bjork back when I was in music school. But Einar was quite a few years ahead of me, and he showed up and was this incredible player. And I remember people kind of mentioning that this guy's from Iceland and thinking, he's from Iceland? Why? I've never met anyone from Iceland before. And it was the first time 
someone said to me, well, actually, there's a really amazing music scene in Iceland and a lot of really great musicians live there. So people will always mention Björk when they mention Icelandic music, but it's definitely worth looking into some other Icelandic bands. There's so much good stuff out there. And I think it's true that the place that you write music influences the music itself, and that certainly seems to be true of Icelandic music and of the music that Björk made. And while she specifically describes her location in this song as standing at the top of a mountain, I think that the land fits into the song in a more abstract way as well, and that it's interesting to keep that space in mind when you listen to this song. Like, okay, let's actually do an exercise. I'm going to put some links down in the show notes, and I want you to just pull up those links. There are some images of Iceland, and I want you to picture the topography and the land of this part of the world, and just close your eyes and try to put yourself there. You're standing there, you're standing at the top of a mountain. It's early in the morning, the sun is just beginning to rise, there's light in the sky, you smell just a hint of salt on the air. The breeze is cooler than you thought it would be, and you can see for miles. So we'll get into the analysis and the sounds and the harmony, but I wanted to start with the space. I'll always associate Bjork's music with space. I think that she conjures these spaces with her compositions, and I always think about travel when I think about space, because space and travel are pretty related. Travel, after all, is just moving through space, and you have to go to a new space in order to have traveled, and Bjork, to me, is the great genius of musical travel. This song has two modes, it has sort of two different parts to it, and each of those parts moves in a different direction and conveys a different feeling. Those two directions are matched by the narrator, who spends part of the song standing at the top of a cliff in the very early morning, and the other part of the song returning to her lover's arms where she feels safe. So while some of that is just an ineffable quality of Björk's voice and the way that she writes, there are some techniques that she uses, particularly in hyperballad, to capture and conjure that sense of space for the listener. Before we go any deeper into the analysis, a quick content warning. I think of Hyperballad as a wonderfully life-affirming song, but some lyrics in the second verse could be read as the narrator entertaining thoughts of self-harm. So I just wanted to mention that up front. Alright, let's get into it. So Hyperballad is in B-flat major, and it features a few defining sounds. One of them is the sub-bass that you're hearing right now. The other is an analog sound that's used in a really cool way to define this song's groove. So here on Strong Songs we always talk about the thump and the pop and the sizzle, the three elements of most grooves. Hyperballad doesn't exactly have a thump and a pop and a sizzle, at least not in the way that a lot of traditional rock songs do, where the thump is that kick drum, the pop is the snare drum, and the sizzle is some sort of subdivision on the hi-hat. Now there is a thump and a pop and a sizzle later in this song, it gets into a pretty standard sort of dance electronic beat, but uh, at the beginning here this is a pretty unique groove, I've never heard anything that sounds like it, and the minute I heard it I knew what it was. Maybe you do too. 
So this song is about Bjork in the very early morning going out to the cliff that she lives at the top of and looking out over it at this beautiful view. And everything in the music is working together to give you the feeling that you're there with her at the top of that mountain. So there are these open strings at the very top, this very high string notes that just feel kind of like the sky. Then the bass comes in and it's walking down from an E flat to a D to a C, and those three bass notes make up the entirety of the verse. And it feels to me like the drop off the cliff. So if those really high strings which come in first are sort of the faint light of the morning sky, the bass which comes in second is the precipitous drop off the edge of the cliff. So those two elements define the high and the low of where we're standing, and if you've ever stood at the top of a cliff, you know what exists in the middle, and that's what I think the drums represent. The drums are the wind. So how are they getting that sound? Well, there's a thump in there that's just kind of a kick drum sound, but the sizzle and the pop are kind of combined into this wonderful washy sound that's coming from the use of a wire brush on a snare drum. Actually, a couple of them. I think there are at least two tracks here overlaid on top of one another of somebody playing a snare drum with a brush. Now, brushes are something that drummers use all the time. Lots of jazz drummers play with brushes. A brush can be a wonderfully expressive way to play a drum. So a brush is just a bunch of wires that are all held together kind of at the base, so the wires splay out from the base, and then you have a rubber grip that you can slide down the wires to make the wires hold together more tightly, or you can slide it more toward the base, which lets the wires spread out a little bit farther. Because there are a bunch of wires instead of a single tip, you don't get that focused hit that you get when you hit a drum with a drumstick or even a mallet. You get this kind of broader feel, and you can do all kinds of things with a brush. One of the things that they're doing on this recording, one of those two drum tracks that are kind of layered on top of each other, is this kind of steady wash. You're like stirring the brush across the top of the snare drum, which creates a sound like this. On top of that is a second track just playing a pattern that's kind of like with a brush as well. The last thing I'm hearing is they've added some sort of stereo delay to that more active snare part so that you'll hear it kind of bounce over to the right channel after it plays for the first time closer to the center. It's so cool, it's very creative. There aren't other drum groups that sound like this. It's very much its own thing, but it also serves the song so beautifully because it does feel like the wind in the context of the song. So before Bjork's vocals come in and describe where we're standing, the scene has already been set by the music. on a mountain right at the top, this beautiful view from the top of the mountain. What a perfectly evocative opening line. So the melody that Bjork is singing is fascinating. Her melodies are always really interesting because her phrasing is so idiosyncratic. But before we get into that, a little bit about the harmony underneath it. 
So this song is in B flat, though it never actually arrives at B flat major. I think it is in B flat. I think that her melodies and the phrases are all moving toward B flat, but it never actually resolves to a B flat major chord. It actually kind of centers around the four chord, an E flat major. In this verse, it starts on E flat, then it kind of walks down to D. It's either a D minor or like a B flat over D, and then it walks down to C minor. So it's just going E flat, D, C over and over again. Of course, it's not being played by a piano like that. It's actually being played by that sub bass sound. This is some sort of a bass synth. I'm not totally sure. Electronic music is not my forte. The thing that jumps out at you though is that sub sound, that subsonic sound where it's very low, like the synth is sort of dropping its oscillator down an octave or even two octaves to get that really deep sound that almost sounds, it sounds like abyssal. Like it almost drops away from your ear because it so quickly drops so low. So until the melody comes in, that's the entirety of the harmony. There's just sort of that fourth in the strings, an F and a B flat, and the bass is moving through those three notes, that E flat, that D, and that C, which implies a sort of E flat major to B flat over D to C minor. So with that high high and low low, Bjork enters in the middle with the melody. And then as she describes the beautiful view, a second synthesizer enters. This beautiful view from the top of the mountain. So you can sense the way they're developing it. With each phrase, they're introducing a new sound. First, you just hear that open fourth in the strings. Then the bass comes in. Then the snare drum groove enters. Then Bjork's vocals come in with the melody. A phrase later, they introduce the first higher synthesizer. The final texture they introduce in the verse is one more synthesizer that starts kind of over on the right, then delays over to the left. It's this very delicate, almost chorus-like sound. It all creates this sense of open space as Bjork details her morning routine. Every morning. So every morning she wakes up before everyone else and she goes out to this cliff and throws little things over the edge, just whatever she can find, to watch it fall. It is so evocative. This music is so evocative of what she's describing. It's unlike almost any other song I've ever heard in terms of this total synthesis between the music and the lyrics to tell this story. The phrasing is actually helping tell that story too. I mentioned this before, but there are three bar phrases in this verse. It's that E flat to that B flat over D to that C minor, and then it just goes right back to the E flat. So each phrase is three bars. Like here's one phrase in the verse. So you can count it as one, two, three, one, two, three. Whatever I find lying around. 
Combined with that swishing, swirling wash on the snare drum, those three-bar phrases create this kind of feeling of imbalance that fits with a kind of precarious position up at the top of a cliff. Now, as to the melody that Bjork is singing, she has this distinct and very confident way of stretching her phrasing, particularly her rhythmic phrasing, so that she's ahead of the beat and then she's behind the beat. She'll rush through a phrase and then lay way back and stretch a phrase out, which gives her singing and her melodies this wonderfully elastic quality. So let's go through those verses. I want to show you what I'm talking about. So let's just go through one three-bar phrase at a time and look at the melody that she sings over this opening verse. Here's the first phrase. So already she's stretching the time. We live on a mountain. She lays back on that 10, which already creates this sense that her vocals exist in a rhythmic space, slightly away from the very clearly subdivided snare drum groove. We live on a mountain. Now she sings the second half of this sentence right in time. When she sings right at the top, she puts it right in there. So that creates some contrast. She sings right at the top, right in there in time. There's no stretching, really, except on the very first word, which puts it in contrast to the opening of the phrase, which was more behind the beat. I'll put her next two phrases together since they form one sentence, and they're both pretty in time as well. They're not too stretchy. This Now, so far, most of Bjork's expressiveness has been rhythmic. She's actually been staying in a pretty constrained zone in terms of the notes that she's singing. The highest note she's been singing is a G. Most of the melodies have just been going back and forth between F and G. That's true also when she sings this beautiful view from the top of the mountain. She hasn't gone below a D or above a G, so this whole melody so far has existed within the space of a fourth. In the next phrase, she introduces a much higher note. She goes up to a B-flat. She just lights on it really quickly and then comes back down to that safe melodic zone that she's been in. She's sort of introducing the idea of higher notes in the melody before fully committing to going there. Every So all the sounds are in at this point, both of those higher synths have joined the bass, and here's where she's introducing this idea, that every morning she walks up to the edge of the mountain and she throws little things off the edge. So when she sings, every morning I walk, I walk. it's just a slightly more dramatic thing, like this little jump up to this note, and that's how Bjork works melodically. She's unpredictable in this way, where you never really know when she's going to jump up to a higher note, or when she's going to keep down in a safe and more relaxed register. Every morning I walk towards the edge and out. A lot more of that lovely expressiveness here too. She lays back when she sings toward the edge. Towards the and then as she describes throwing little things off the edge, she elongates the word throw, as if to musically recreate the journey of the object from the top to the bottom of the mountain. 
I hope you're getting a sense here for how much subtlety is actually at work in the way that Bjork approaches phrasing. All right, let's keep going. In this next phrase, she enumerates some of the things that she throws off of the mountain, and she also goes back up to that B flat for a second time, a little bit more strongly this time. And then for the final phrase before the chorus, it's actually a four-bar phrase, and it differentiates itself in a number of ways. The bass drops out, the synths also drop out, the strings kind of come up in the mix, and Bjork kind of sings through this nice little melody that peaks on that B-flat one more time, setting up the chorus. Come to start the day. So we haven't even gotten to the chorus yet, right? This is just a three chord phrase repeating over and over again, and yet there's so much music in there. I hope that that breakdown kind of conveys just how much thought and care Bjork puts into her melodies and how much they communicate to the listener. So let's go back to the start of the verse and listen to the entire thing with each of those phrases one after the other. I want you to keep your ears open for everything that we've talked about so far. So listen to the instrumentation, to that sub bass down low, listen to where the strings are, they're kind of down in the mix, but they're up high. Pay attention to that snare drum, those overlaid snares that's keeping the pulse going. Listen as the two synths join, there's that one nice synth that comes in over on the right, and then the second more choral-like synth that comes in a little bit later. And while you're listening to all of that, also pay attention to Bjork's phrasing. Listen to that restricted range that she's working in, just that fourth at first, and then she slowly starts pushing her way up to that B-flat, like her voice is going to erupt out of it, but not quite yet, sometimes singing perfectly in time, sometimes relaxing her phrasing way behind the beat, always building forward, always climbing upward, preparing to thrust us into the chorus. All right, ears on, see if you can hear all of that. Here we go. We live on a mountain Right at the top This beautiful view From the top of the mountain Every morning I walk towards the edge And stroll Even if this song didn't go to the chorus, if that was the entirety of the song, the minute you actually slow down and really focus on what's happening in that verse, it's a whole composition unto itself. Of course, there is a chorus, the chorus to Hyperballad is great, and the whole verse is actually just setting the stage and getting you ready for it. So the verse has been pretty static, but like I said, Bjork is the great genius of musical travel. She's set the stage, she's established the setting, and now it's time for the song's first departure. Now, if a song starts at the top of a cliff, and it's looking down, throwing things off the cliff as the bass moves downward, and then the chorus comes around and we begin to ascend, and the music begins to climb, there's really only one way that you can ascend from the top of a mountain. And that's if you start to fly. And to me, that's what this chorus sounds like. It sounds like flying. I go through all this before you wake up So I can feel 
So this chorus is so beautiful and affirming, and that's because it works in such wonderful contrast to the verse. So in the verse, Bjork is standing there throwing small objects off of this cliff, and then in the chorus she sings, I go through all this before you wake up so I can feel happier to be safe up here with you. There are some significant harmonic and melodic differences between the verse and the chorus that line up these two headspaces that she's in, either sitting there, looking off the cliff, throwing objects off of it, or in the chorus, turning to you, the subject of the song, and explaining why she does it, how it makes her feel safe to be at the top of the cliff in this perilous space with you. So the most important thing that happens between the verse and the chorus is that the harmony shifts and a new chord progression begins. That's pretty standard for choruses. The magic here is in the details, and specifically, the direction. You can hear it in the bass. During the verse, it's going from E flat to D to C, over and over again, this constant downward motion. The bass drops out for a moment, remember, before the chorus, and then the chorus begins on an E flat, but then it climbs up to F major, and then up again to G minor before going back down to F major. It creates this beautiful and literal sense of ascension as the chorus begins to climb from where it began. At the end of the phrase, also, instead of walking down to F major, it actually goes up one more step to F major over A. So the final chord progression of each phrase, if you think of it as an eight bar phrase, is E flat to F to G minor to F over A. Like I said, this is also shifted to four bar phrases as opposed to the three bar phrases of the verse, and four bar phrases just feel a little more symmetrical and steady. The chorus is all about feeling safe, so that's just one more way that the music of this song reflects the lyrics. So for starters, the melody. So Bjork spent the whole verse kind of slowly stretching her way out of this restrained space that the melody started in with those B flats. Here in the chorus, she comes much more unshackled and kind of erupts upward several times. She goes to that B flat a lot of times and then eventually jumps way up to a D. The melody that she's singing feels perfectly natural, but it's a pretty unusual melody. Like here, check it out, I'm just gonna sing it on my own. I go through all this before you wake up so I can feel happier to be safe up here with you. I mean, that phrasing, that melody, that's not something I would come up with, you know, writing music out on a sheet of paper. It's very organic, and it makes this whole song feel kind of top-down. Like there was a melody, and they filled in the space underneath it, which gives the melody this elevated feeling that I think is really cool. By the end of that chorus, they've introduced a couple of crucial new elements. For starters, there's this synth part that comes in, and they're doing something funny with the pitch, where they're using either some sort of a pitch wheel, or maybe just a knob to really quickly jump 
the pitch around. And the notes are actually interesting too. It's kind of going between B flats and A's and G's in really distinct octaves. And it gives it an almost non-harmonic sound. Like it almost just sounds like some sort of electronic signal that isn't exactly making pitches, even though it's consistently moving between three or so distinct pitches. It's also playing a distinct rhythm, which I'll talk about in a second. There's some cool subdivision stuff also happening on this chorus. But before that, the other crucial texture that's introduced here that becomes much more important later in the recording is the string ensemble. That string part is the romantic heart of this song, and it's actually not super noticeable at the very beginning. You might not even think that it's going to become as big of a deal as it does later in the recording based on how it first turns up. But it is in there in that final phrase of the chorus, so just listen to that phrase and see if you can hear those strings up on high, along with that octave jumping synthesizer that sneaks its way. Now, like I mentioned earlier, I think that this chorus is really tidy rhythmically. It kind of exists on several different tracks of subdivision, and they all fit together very neatly. So subdivision is just how we chop up a measure of music. If there are four beats in a measure, subdivision is sort of how do you want to think of that? Do you want to think of it as one, two, three, four, or one and two and three and four and? And the more subdivided something is, soon you're chopping it up into ever smaller bits. It's kind of a fundamental concept for rhythm. And like I always say, if you want to know more about that, I do recommend going back and listening to the episode Rhythm Plus Harmony Equals Music, since it talks about a lot of the fundamental concepts that I use to explain music on this show, and in particular a lot of rhythmic concepts like subdivision. So the groove on this chorus is subdivided very differently by different parts. There's kind of four different layers. The broadest layer is in the bass and then later the strings, which is these big long notes just moving up through that harmony that we already talked about. There's also a much faster subdivision happening in the drums. That brush on the snare sound is still going. And that's cutting the beat up quite a bit while those big long tones are happening in the harmony. The synth part is actually a third layer of subdivision because it's playing a consistent rhythm. Bum, 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 bum. It's like a pseudo clave kind of. It's not as busy as the snare drum, but it's not as open as the chords. So it actually fits really nicely into the arrangement. I go through Now, in addition to those three types of subdivision, there's also Bjork singing. I've gone over her melody already, and she's really stretching and pushing and pulling, so she exists in a more nebulous space than the other three more consistent types of subdivision. So, just like with the verse, there is a whole lot going on on this chorus. Let's listen back to the chorus again, and really try to listen for that subdivision. Listen for those big, broad, open chords in the bass and then later in the strings. Listen to how that snare drum is mixing up the subdivision and playing much faster 16th notes. Listen to that synth part and how it actually plays a consistent groove that's sort of somewhere in between on the subdivision scale. And listen to Bjork's melody, the way that she stretches the time as she stretches her range, moving higher and higher until she finally leaps up to that high D. Fittingly on the lyric, safe up here. See if you can hear all that. Ears on. Here we go. I go through 
of one new synth part, it's time to transition back to the early morning atmosphere of the verse. There are a lot of things that I like about this second verse. One lyrical thing that I really love is when she says, I'm back at my cliff. I'm back at my cliff. It just is like, here I am, back at my cliff. You know, my cliff that I go to every morning. Back on my nonsense, throwing stuff off the cliff. Still throwing things now that new synth that I mentioned, it's a very short clipped synth with some delay on it, and it adds a nice amount of rhythmic subdivision to sort of get right in there with the snare drum and get this kind of energy. It's a subtly new energy for the verse, and this second verse kind of needs a new energy because this is where Bjork actually entertains the idea of her own body falling off the cliff. She introduces that idea by actually kind of halting in her vocal. She sings, I, and she stops on the I. She almost swallows it as she begins to articulate this thought. I listen to the sounds they make on their way down. I follow with my eyes till they crash. I imagine what my body would sound like. It's a scary thought to look down from a very high height and think, what would happen if I just fell off? It really brings out this sort of vulnerable quality in her voice, the way that she sort of haltingly delivers some of those lines. You can sense her making a connection between the objects she's throwing and her own precariousness up at the top. I listen to the sounds they make on their way down. You can hear her breathing so clearly. You can hear the sounds in her throat, these sort of extra musical sounds. You can really hear her. And I don't think that that's a coincidence that that happens during this verse. Bjork can be such a larger-than-life presence. So many of her music videos present these altered and enhanced versions of her, sort of computer-enhanced glowing and flying and morphing. Her voice is so powerful and leaps to such heights so quickly. But when she wants to get small and when she wants to really bring you in, she's incredible at it. And that's what she's doing during this verse. She wants us to understand how she feels as she stands back at her cliff, so she's letting us in and letting us feel what she feels. I imagine what my body would sound like. It's the song's most vulnerable and intimate moment. We're standing with her at the top of that cliff. Then she takes our hand and we're flying again.
I think of that as a drop because that's where the beat drops. Like I said, I'm not an expert in electronic music, but I do know good music, and I love the way that it feels when that kick drum comes in. Not that much is actually different from the first chorus, but of course, everything is different because the kick drum drops and begins to set up that driving four-on-the-floor beat. Listen to that first chorus again, and you'll be very attuned to all the layers of subdivision since we already talked about it, but pay attention to what might be missing from this groove. So there is a thump in there. It's just not that frequent. Of course, that first chorus exists to set up the second chorus where the kick moves over to this boom, 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 four on the floor groove, which it's just a few more extra notes in the kick drum, but it completely changes the sound of the chorus. So they've got a lot of thump in there. Maybe we need a little more sizzle over on the right. Yeah, that hi-hat will do it. Well, there's plenty of thump, there's plenty of sizzle. If Bjork really wanted to make this a strong song, the next thing she would add would be some pop. <laughs> That's right, the second chorus on Hyper Ballad actually methodically introduces new elements of thump, and then sizzle, and then pop, almost as though this song was designed to be dissected on this podcast. In the interest of doing that dissection, this groove actually has a lot of cool stuff going on in it. It's a little bit more complicated than just adding a new sizzle and a new pop to that thump that they introduced when the beat dropped. So the full beat is just a very straightforward dance, thump and pop and sizzle. The sizzle's on the hi-hat over on the right, and the snare is doing a pretty steady backbeat. However, there's another drum that they've introduced. It's over on the left, and I'm kind of using 808 sounds to get this. It sounds a little bit like 808 toms to me, but that's not quite what it is, so I'm not totally sure what it is. It's a really cool sound that's easy to miss, though I want to get it in your ear now because it comes to the fore toward the end of the song. It sounds kind of like a conga drum, kind of like an 808 tom, and it's just this boom, bop, bop, boom, bop. Up, just a little counter rhythm over on the left that exists in this nice little space that complements the more noticeable group. Now that beat is being added to all of the previous subdivision that they had going, so you can still hear the wire brush on the snare drum. It's just kind of down in the mix. There's also just some like some types of hand percussion, again, like instruments that I can't totally identify, but there's a lot of just steady 16th note groove going on. The result is all of these layers coming together to create this crashing sort of momentum that pushes things forward even before they begin layering in the extra hi-hat and the extra snare drum. And as each one is added, the energy level just goes up a little bit more. You might not even notice that they're adding new sounds. If you weren't a listener of this podcast, you probably wouldn't think, oh, hey, there's a new sizzle. Oh, nice. There's finally a pop. You would just feel more energized and more excited by the music. It 
it's such a feeling of arrival and it's such a cool thing to experience. This is something that Bjork is so great at, that a song can start one place and just take you effortlessly to this completely other place. I mean, remember, this song started with lone strings on the horizon as the light just started to peek through. The sun was rising, the world was so quiet. We had no idea what we were in for. In just a couple of minutes, a few new chords, some new synthesizers, and a couple of extra drum grooves later, without being aware of how we even got here, suddenly we're soaring through space. The song reaches its climax, a moment of musical and lyrical catharsis as Bjork sings over and over again, Safe Up Here With You. The snare drum, that pop, momentarily drops out, and it's like we're coasting along on the wind. which leaves space for the synths to take over for eight bars. Now listen as the strings come back in and the song climbs even higher. Getting weight and moving up. And up. So light that it might float away. And we land back on the mountain, faintly lit by the strings and the morning sun. Close your eyes and you can see it. Bjork is so many things, a singer, a composer, songwriter, ambassador, an icon. But above all of those things, to me, she'll always be a traveler. Each of Bjork's songs is a voyage across a world that shares aspects with the one we all live in, but remains somehow different. And the magic of her music isn't just how far she travels, it's how she invites us along. Lately I find I can't stop thinking of travel. The places I want to go, the people I want to see, the parts of the world I've never been to. There are so many mountains in this world, and each one awakens every morning to a silent sunrise sky. Like the best traveling companion, Bjork is always seeking new destinations. And like the best guide, she doesn't waste time asking us where we'd like to go or what we'd like to do. She simply takes our hand, and just like that, we're off.
And that'll do it for my analysis of Hyper Ballad by the great Bjork. I hope you liked this episode. I hope it gave you a greater appreciation for Bjork's wonderful music. And if you did like this episode, I hope that you'll tell someone about it. Thanks so much to everyone who's already been spreading the word. I have more listeners than ever, which means that more people than ever are listening to more music more closely than ever, which makes me very happy. If you would like to know how to support me making this show, head on over to patreon.com slash strong songs. This is an entirely listener supported show. I don't do endorsements. I don't do ads. I don't do any of that. It's just me and all of you. And you're making it possible for me to keep doing this. This episode's outro soloist is the one and only BJ Chord on the trumpet. He was the first outro soloist that I recorded, and he's also playing trumpet on the Strong Songs theme music. So stick around for BJ, and I'll be back in two weeks with more Strong Songs. <laughs>